Welcome to the Super Givers Podcast, where we celebrate ordinary people creating extraordinary impact in the world. I'm your host, Jesse Johnson, personal revolution coach, partner, father, and aspiring super giver. This week, my guest is Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker, Andrew Hinton. In our conversation, Andrew describes how one powerful insight in his childhood led him to follow his dream of making films that change the world and the challenges he had to face in order to stay on his path. Great. Well, I'm here with my first guest ever, documentary award-winning documentary filmmaker, Andrew Hinton. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jesse. Great to be here. I'm very honored to be your first guest. Yeah. Well, I'd just love to know off the bat if you can give an honest context into who you are and, and what you do, just maybe a little underneath the, the title of documentary filmmaker. Sure. Well, I mean, as a, as a creative person, that's one of the most difficult questions that, that you can ask because <laughs> I've been on a long journey of feeling comfortable with saying that I am a filmmaker, but I can now stand up in front of an audience and say, I'm a filmmaker. And I think that's really because I've served my time in the trenches and I've spent long enough making films and shooting other people's films uh, for this to be my sole source of income and my my path through life, I suppose you could call it. So, yes, I'm a documentary filmmaker, and I'm comfortable saying that now, finally. And I basically find subjects and stories and people that interest me, that excite me, that make me feel alive. And then I have this wonderful opportunity with this role um, of being able to dive into to these different worlds that people inhabit and explore their stories and, and find out about their experiences and try and glean the wisdom that they've collected along the way. So it's a really, it's a really fun opportunity to exercise my curiosity about the world. Yeah. And I'm excited to get into some of the current projects. I'm wondering first, if you can say a little bit more about how you got started down this path. Sure. So my first inkling of the possibility of film as somebody who grew up in a very non-creative household was watching television. And I think I must've been a teenager, but I, I was watching a piece on British TV and suddenly from behind the camera, there came a voice and it was obvious that the person who was filming this particular documentary was the person that was speaking. And I suddenly had a moment of realization that there was a person there holding that camera and, and asking that question. And that person, when they got up that morning, had gone to work and their work was pointing a camera at someone and asking questions. And I just remember thinking as a teenager, what a great job. What a great, what a, <laughs> there are people out there that actually do that as a job. So I, a little light bulb went off. I mean, not having a, not having a reference point, you know, not having, not really knowing anyone that did that in the real world, it still remains slightly abstract. So I, I, I studied politics and international relations, and then I did terrible jobs for a couple of years. And then I went back to university and studied media production. And that was really my transition into a more creative 
world and I, I absolutely loved it. I did a master's for in a year and then when I'd finished that I was I was puffed up with confidence thinking well now I'm a filmmaker and I I got my first job on a BBC project and within 10 minutes of being on set I knew that I knew nothing at all and so I spent the first probably 2 years of my uh, illustrious career making tea and being a runner and a production assistant and basically doing the 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 menial jobs on set which are not all that exciting, but it's just exciting to be there in that in that environment and learning from these people who are skilled in their various disciplines. And it was absolutely thrilling to me. So it was a lot of humility and a lot of making tea. And that really set me on my path because I began meeting people that I could then collaborate with or who employed me. And it was really from that first job that all, all subsequent jobs came. So that was how I, that's how I started. And then I, I worked my way up through the ranks of being a production assistant, first of all, and then an assistant producer and a, res, and a researcher in documentaries, and then as a producer. And then I ran a creative studio. And then at a certain point, I realized that as a producer, I was helping a lot of other people make their films and realize their visions. And I just came to the conclusion one day that I had stories that I wanted to tell and, and things that I wanted to say about the world. So that's how I transitioned into making my own films and becoming a, a director and a filmmaker. Wow. And I think this is so important for, for people listening who might want to glean something in their own journey. What is, give us a sense of the timeline from when you made your first pot of tea, perhaps, to, you know, making your first film that was really your voice how long did that take goodness well i have a tendency to move quite slowly in these matters so i'm sure you could i'm sure you could do it much quicker and certainly now with the technology that people have at their fingertips the capacity to just go and shoot and edit and put together your own film is is infinitely greater but i would say probably around six or seven years yeah it, it took from from stepping onto that first set to to then maybe even longer, maybe even ten years. My goodness! Mm. Um, but it, it certainly it certainly didn't happen overnight. And in a way, in a way that was good. I I did have the the, the first documentary that I worked on. The director said he thought nobody under under thirty should make a film, and I I pushed against that, and I thought that was terrible advice. And then I realized that I'd got to the age of 30 and I'd never made a film. And I wonder whether subconsciously that, uh, that affected me. But I think what he meant was that you need to experience life and you need to have spend time with people. You need to be out there in the world. You need to just marinate in the in the in the energy of of uh, experience. And so that that is an essential part of the process. I think I think one of the best pieces of advice that anyone gave me or that I read was cultivate your interests. So whatever whatever you're doing to to further your professional skills, don't neglect the things that really interest you or that that make you come alive because those are what set you apart from everyone else. So you know, I was interested in photography, I was interested in art, I was interested in cinema. So I would spend a long time, a lot of time going to galleries and, and watching movies and taking photos. And I think all of that, 
all of that, you don't realize it at the time, but it's helping to form your vision and your ability to capture and tell stories. So I think all of that is equally as important as the professional experience. It's just a question of building up your reserves in a way. And you were doing all of that while you were working your way up? Yes. Yes. I mean, I was living in London at the time and trying to cover my rent and doing basically anything I could get my hands on in terms of production work. And so, yeah, I was, I was just trying to take advantage of everything that London had to offer in terms of music and nightlife and culture and experience get a grasp of what the spectrum of possibility is that you can begin to see where you might fit or where you're being drawn to. So I think it took me a while to realize in, in hindsight, it makes sense that, that I would be drawn to documentary. I was always interested in nonfiction. I was always reading newspapers as a kid and, you know, fascinated by great journalism and stories of adventure in foreign lands. So, you know, it makes sense. There's a, there's looking back, there's a thread, but at the time I was feeling my way forward and just making myself open to opportunity. Yeah. You already answered this in part. Uh, I want to make sure there's not more here because I think this is really critical to anybody who might be listening. And I know in my own experience, anybody who's trying really hard to, create something in their world and they're trying to get through the phase of it that might be uh, analogous to yours like the tea making phase right where we're just grinding and we're sort of paying our dues so there's something you were able to access in yourself to make those years worthwhile and hang in there um, and actualize your vision a little bit more so from that light bulb moment when you were a kid watching tv to the moments you've had recently where you've created your own films. What else did it take for you to get there? Wow, what a really interesting question. <laughs> what did it take for me to get there? My goodness, it took... Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that I read The Artist's Way quite early in the process, and I found that although I didn't complete all the exercises in the book, I found the, the process of doing morning pages every morning was incredibly helpful in terms of just gathering my thoughts, clearing my mind, silencing my inner critic that was constantly telling me that I couldn't do it or that I wouldn't ever make it or that, you know, all those, all those things that the inner critic does to make itself feel useful. And so I found that, that for years I did morning pages and that was that was definitely useful and i think really it was just about following a certain kind of in, intuition and allowing enough allowing enough trust in myself that i was able to follow where i was being pulled and that 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 process of listening to what that is and allowing yourself to be guided by it. I think, you know, I say that realizing that, that perhaps recently I haven't been as good at doing it as I, as I maybe once was, you know, it's a, it's a constant discipline, but there were definitely times where I really allowed myself to do that and allowed myself to be drawn to 
to what what really appealed to me. And so, yeah, I, I think that's some kind of an answer. I love it. Yeah. And of course, anybody who's can relate to your story at all knows that that eloquent line you say, listening, listening to yourself really deeply and listening to this part of yourself is a lot easier said than done. So obviously you have been able to not only access that part of yourself, but take action from that part of yourself long enough to, to get to this point. Um, unless I'm giving you too much credit, it sounds like you've been able to do that. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not always easy, but, but to be honest, I've learned that if you, if you, if that signal is coming through loud and clear, you would be a fool not to listen to it. And there are definitely times where I've, I've had a very strong, almost visceral reaction to a person or a place or a story and realized that this is calling to me. And it's a, it's a, in a way, a huge relief when that happens. It's, it's a process of falling in love, I suppose. It's a, it's an awakening of some kind and it's unexpected and it can, it can come at any moment, but when it happens, there's a, there's a weight of responsibility that comes with it where you suddenly realize that you're the custodian for this story or this thing that wants to be, that wants to emerge. And there's this relief of, of having found this treasure of some kind. So it's a, it's a strange one, but it's happened to me. It's happened to me a few times. And when it does, and I've, and I've listened, it's always, it's always taken me to a good place. Hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Let's, okay. I'm torn because I really actually want to, I really want to hear more about um, your current projects. And I also am really curious to know, because I know so many people want to hear this, how, how did you learn how to listen to that and then take action on that voice? So maybe if it feels natural to you, feel free to, weave in whatever you'd like to share about um, your projects, you know, your films that you want to speak about. And then also if you're, if you're, if you have an answer for this, how did you learn how to, how to put that beautiful intention that so many of us have to listen to ourselves? How did you learn how to put that into action? Well, I've realized that it's, it's more than anything, a process of preparing yourself of tilling the soil and getting ready to allow this thing to drop in. So it's not, it's not a question of digging a hole until you find it. It's much more a question of getting yourself ready mentally, physically, spiritually for, for this thing to appear so that in a sense you're, you're creating the conditions for it to manifest. And that, I realize that could sound a little bit, esoteric but i do i do recognize looking back that the times that that has happened successfully i realized there has been a period leading up to that in which i was intentionally readying myself somehow so in terms of current projects i've i've really in the last 3 years or so since since the film that i made most recently obviously i've not been doing nothing in that time, but it's taken me a lot longer to prepare myself than I thought it would. And there've definitely been times where I've been looking around sort of saying, 
to the universe. I'm ready. I think I'm ready. You know, where, where's the next big project? Mm. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for it to drop in. And, and it hasn't. So then I have to, then I have to circle back and kind of keep working on what it is that I think is needed to get myself in, in the right, in the right space for it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm finally back on the scent. I've, I've, nothing's wasted in this process of researching and learning and asking questions. And I've, I've realized as I've, as I've got more experience and been able to point to work that I've made and say, this is, that this is what I've made. You know, I'm interested in talking to you that people are actually very open on the whole to just having conversations. So it's a great access all areas pass to be able to get in touch with someone and say, hi, I'm a filmmaker. I am thinking about making a film about this particular subject, which you know something about. I'd really love to meet for a coffee and have a chat. And so I've been doing a lot of that over the past two or three years. I am still exploring the relationship between humans and animals, which I, which I feel is very broken in many ways. And so that has taken me to animal sanctuaries. It's taken me to zoos. It's taken me to interviews with experts in animal communication or does, does this, does this connect with your current project, a heart as big as the world? Yeah. So I'm, I, I think underlying all of the ideas and projects that I'm most interested in exploring is a belief that we need more positive stories in the world. I think that like anyone else, I can become overwhelmed when I look at the news or even look at most of the documentaries that are out there, which, which show us global warming and the effects of coral bleaching and cutting down rainforests and all the rest of it. I, I, I absolutely respect those filmmakers, but I'm not going to make those films. I, I don't want to make films which focus on the problem. I want to make films which look for solutions or, or at least focus on people who are looking for solutions because I need, I feel we need pathways out of these, these situations we find ourselves in. It's not enough anymore just to raise awareness. I feel as though the level of awareness globally is such that we can't any longer say we don't know about these things. So I think filmmakers have to go a step beyond and we have to find, we have to find solutions or at least find people that are looking for solutions. So a heart as big as the world is just a title under which I'm putting things which are, are attracting me. And at the moment, what I'm drawn to is people showing compassion. So the last film that I made was a film called Tashi and the Monk, which is all about a Buddhist monk in Northeast India who adopts 85 kids and creates a community which is called the Garden of Love and Compassion. And so that was really my deep dive into the transformative power of compassion. And so that's really become a thread uh, which I've been following. So I've been looking for the people and the situations where compassion is really at play. And so I've, I've just literally in the last few weeks begun researching and recording interviews for a project here in Portland, which I can tell you about if you're interested in. Yeah. 
<laughs> sure. I don't want to ramble, I don't want to ramble on too much, but yeah. um, so it's it's really all about a group of people, a group of volunteers working for an organization called Nobody Dies Alone, which was founded or, or at least created by a nurse in Eugene in Oregon 16 years ago. And she was doing her rounds one night and an elderly man said, would you come and sit with me for a few minutes? And she said, well, I, I certainly will, but I need to finish my rounds. And of course, by the time she got back from her rounds, this man had passed away. And she thought, this is crazy that, that we should be in a situation where people die alone. Everybody should have company of some kind as they transition from this world to the next. So she set up a volunteer program at a hospital in Eugene. Um, the idea has spread. And 10 years ago, a guy called Jim Pfeiffer here in Portland took over a program and has been running it ever since. And it's full of incredibly normal people who just make time in their lives to go and sit in what they call healing presence with a person who is at the end of their life. And there's something about that gift of human presence, which is so simple on some level and yet so powerful on other levels. And that's what I'm exploring at the moment is what is it about that humanity and that connection that that we need that we crave that that is so potentially healing in that moment um and it's really i'm really early in the journey i've met jim and i've met a number of the volunteers and i've been doing some interviews and i'm going to join some of the vigils and see where it all goes it may end up being something it may end up, end up being nothing but along the way it's a fascinating journey for me to continue to explore questions of life and death and meaning and purpose and all those good things. Yeah, I'm really inspired hearing about it. And I know as you're talking, I'm remembering how I felt watching Tashi and I felt similarly very inspired. So getting back to your sort of the purpose behind the filmmaking um, and wanting to have wanting to be solution focused. What are what are some of the just what are some of the dream responses that you have for people who watch your films? That's a good question. I think that well, I've always been a little frustrated with artists or or people that make work who say, "Well, I just make the work; it's up to the audience to make their own interpretations." I feel, in a sense, that that's a a relinquishing of responsibility or it seems seems careless it seems a little narcissistic and self-absorbed and so i think that of course as an uh, there's a there's a, a space for everyone to have their own reactions some of which may not be positive but ultimately what i want to do is remind people of the goodness of other people and to move them to action, whatever that might be, might be, whether that's picking up the phone and talking to an estranged relative or friend, or whether that's signing up to volunteer in a local hospice, or whether that's 
donating some money to a cause. I I would like that my work translates to action. I don't want it to be entertainment. Uh, not that that's a bad thing, but I want it to be enriching and inspiring and take people take people back to something familiar which is an essential goodness that is in themselves and is in other people i love that and of course that really resonates with what i'm attempting to do as well so i really appreciate i really appreciate that because there's there's i think you said this when we met too there's there's not a shortage of people out there providing good content and saying good words and you know the ideas are are really becoming commonplace and even words like compassion right and and yet if we don't find a way to integrate the concepts into actionable living uh they fall short don't they mm, definitely at this stage with what's going on in the world right mm. No, I agree. And I think it feels as though we're at a, at a pretty urgent point in our evolution as a species and as a, as a huge interconnected ecosystem. I, I really swing between hope and despair. <laughs> and that's why I, I really believe that some kind of action is, is so important because there's so much happening. There's so much that's being destroyed and there's so much potential. There's so much human potential. If we could just get things pointed in the right direction that I feel action's crucial. But having said, having said that, just, just, just one other thought is ultimately the only thing that's going to change everything is a shift in consciousness. And so I think, that underlies everything else. I think, I think once we can achieve some kind of shift in consciousness, all of the action, all of the doing, all of the busyness will, will spring naturally somehow from that. So I think, I think that's a really, really crucial um, point of focus is how do we shift consciousness? Yeah. And that, that seems like an underlying goal with your filmmaking too. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that I would ever articulate that explicitly and stand up in a Q&A and say to an audience, well, I hope I've shifted your consciousness tonight, everybody. But I think that maybe subconsciously or, you know, that's that's definitely a goal of, of mine is, is to provide an opportunity for an emotional opening or a heart opening through which some kind of consciousness raising might happen. Is there anything specific around that that you want to share about Tashi and the Monk or, or your new project in terms of the direction of consciousness you'd love to nudge? Well, I think in terms of Tashi and the Monk, the response to the film has been amazing. I mean, it's, it's now three years on and it's been around the world a few times and won lots of awards at festivals. And I was just in Japan, uh, not Japan, um, South Korea a few weeks ago. And that was the first time that I'd met up with Lobsong, who's the monk featured in the film. And so I spent five or six days with him and we, we caught up and we chatted and he told me about some of the effects of the film on the community where we, where we filmed. 
and the money that had been raised and the volunteers that had gone to spend time at the community. And he said that what he's realized is that most films, you go and watch them in the cinema and then you come out and you were entertained, but nothing really stays with you. But what he has observed is that with Tashi and the Monk, people watch, a lot of people, this isn't to say it's universal, but a lot of people have watched the film and something has stayed with them. Something about his story or his compassion or his relationship with Tashi and the other members of the community, something stays with them. And I, that, that is very exciting for me, the idea that the film lasts longer than the 40 minutes that it takes to watch it, that there's a connection that is deeper or something, something that is something that is opened, which is deeper. So I've completely forgotten what your question was, but, uh, what was your question? I think, I think you've, you've mainly answered it just about if you had any intentionality in that film, at least being a reference point of, how people's consciousness could shift, then it sounds like part of it staying with them opens the door for a consciousness shift or action or something like that. Absolutely. And it's been amazing to observe how emotional some people can get when they watch, when they watch the film and it transcends language and it transcends borders because there were people at the film festival in Korea who, who were weeping. And then I had a screening at a yoga studio in Portland a few weeks ago, just after I got back from Korea. And there was a, a woman who came up to me afterwards and just burst into tears. Mm. And it's, you know, it's, it's powerful stuff. And I, I can't take, I can't take all the credit for that. It was very much a team effort in making the film. And it was also, very much Lobsong's life story and what we were privileged enough to get access to, to capture. So there's no, there's, I, I can't say that there was a grand plan on my part that we're going to make a piece of work that's going to, you know, make people burst into tears or, or get emotional or decide to donate lots of money. I mean, obviously those are, those are maybe underlying goals, but it, it happens slightly by accident as well as by rough design. And what I love about hearing your whole story, if, I, if I'm pulling back on a broader view, is that you have, since that light bulb moment, essentially been able to tune into this part of yourself and you really have a deep trust in following the process, not having to control it or, or even you know, get too far ahead on the how of things. Uh, which I think trips a lot of people up, you just really trust it. And you trust the organicity of the unfolding as long as you're following that part of you. And it's beautiful to hear that the film can then sort of become its own thing and, and perhaps influence people in their own organicity. It's part of what I'm taking from that. Absolutely. I, and that's a really lovely way of putting it. I'd like to point out, though, that I'm very, very good at getting in my own way and constructing obstacles and making life difficult and finding ways of not tuning in. So I don't want to give the impression that it's all been a breezy downhill kind of bicycle ride from, from A to B to C. It's, it's very much a meandering doubt filled and 
challenging process. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's great that you say that because I'm sitting here listening and I'm, I'm so impressed by not only your, your path, but also how you articulate it. And I'm just like imagining, is this a guy that could kind of like check out one day and binge watch Netflix? Like, do you, like, do you have a guilty pleasure? <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, I've got lots of guilty pleasures, but my ultimately, I'm, I, I think the, the, the trick is living in alignment with your interests and your passions, because I genuinely am drawn to, to watching documentaries. I've got a project, I suppose you could call it a project, where I created a film equivalent of a book club back on the 1st of January called 52 Docs. And so every week I've been selecting a documentary and sending out an email to the various subscribers. And we've all been watching, well, I say all, I mean, I, yeah, not, not everyone's watched every film, but we've been watching a documentary a week for the last 43, I think, I think this Sunday is week 44 of the 52. So that's been an amazing journey. And, and I suppose in a way that's binging on binge watching on Netflix, but it's, it's healthy binge watching. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, I don't think that would count for most people. I think you're going to get some eye rolling on that. <laughs> what, what's the, what's the lowest that you sink to? <laughs> uh, Master of None. Okay. I love that series. It was amazing. I quite liked High Maintenance on HBO as well. But I'm I'm really drawn to nonfiction. I'm really interested in the real world. I really believe that whole truth is stranger than fiction idea. And and I do love going to the cinema and watching narrative films, but I would choose a documentary, a good, solid, funny, sad, moving documentary over a fiction film any day. For any film folks who might be listening, is there any um, film from your past or present that particularly inspires you that you'd recommend in the doc world? In the doc world, well, there's a Korean film called Planet of Snail, which is one of my favorites, which I think is on Amazon, which hmm. is such a simple film about a relationship between two extraordinary individuals. And it's so gentle and so sweet. And then the, the French film To Have and To Be, Etre et Avoir, which is all about a year in the life of a rural French school is really beautiful and was something that we watched my co-director Johnny and I while we were making Tashi. And it's just a beautifully observed, very simple, again, quite gentle film, but really captures the details of life in a very satisfying way. Awesome. Yeah. Let's transition a little bit if, if, you, if you're willing. I want to know, so I'm sort of coming back to where we, where we started in this call here. If you can picture somebody or even yourself, maybe when you're at the front end of, of taking action towards this, towards becoming a filmmaker, speaking to that part of people, right? What advice would you give to someone who's at the front end of their dream? When you say the front end, you mean at the early stages? Sure. Well, I think the most important thing is just to stay true to it. That whole Shakespearean quote to thine own self be true is really fundamental. I think that's your compass. That's there's, there's no map. You're, you're 
you're finding it out as you go along. So you need to make sure you have a compass at least. And that's your true north is what is what is authentic? What is real to you? How are you living most closely in alignment with your beliefs and values and your interests and your passions? So that's absolutely crucial. But aside from that, staying open and being open to possibility and open to opportunities is sounds slightly contradictory, but I think, I think is the flip side of that and is also helpful. Um, I think it's a bit like skiing, skiing. I stood on skis for the first time in my late twenties and I was absolutely terrible. I had no real grasp of it immediately, but I loved it. It was so much fun. And the, 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 the small moments where I went down the baby slopes and just had that feeling of freedom were incredible. So enjoy the process. Don't get so hung up on the destination that you don't enjoy the journey along the way, because particularly with something like filmmaking, every, every step, it's hard. It's really difficult, challenging work sometimes, but every step you can find inspiration. You can find sustenance along the way, as long as you're listening to your to your compass. Well, what's the best way for my listeners to access your work if they want to check out Tashi or anything else? So Tashi has its own website, tashiandthemonk.com, or I've got work on Vimeo. My girlfriend keeps telling me I need to update my website because it's about 15 years old. So I've got a Vimeo page, which is vimeo.com forward slash pilgrim films, which has various of my past efforts on there. So that's a good place to check things out. And I'll make sure for the listeners that we put those links in, uh, in the production notes on this episode. Yeah. And how else can someone support your projects at this point? Send lots of good vibes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think, yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I haven't done the, I haven't done the, the, advised thing of, of building up a mailing list and gathering support along the way. I've tended to start each project from scratch, but we've got a Facebook page for Tashi and I'm pretty active on social media. So if anybody wants to reach out and ask questions or share thoughts, then I'm, I'm very open. Yeah. And I'll just add that I, I, like I said, I've seen Tashi and the Monk after meeting Andrew and I was quite moved by it. I highly recommend, um, if anything we discussed today resonated for you as a listener that you check that out. And, and Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong. It's not like a super full length, right? It's like 45 minutes or something. It's it's 40 minutes. 40 minutes. it's, It's recently become available on Amazon prime. So easy to watch on your TV at home if you have Amazon TV or it's on Vimeo for free or you can pay to download it. There's all sorts of ways to access the film. To learn more about Andrew's work, check out the links in the production notes for today's episode. Today's question of the day is multi-layered and it goes like this. If you've had a light bulb moment like Andrew did, how could the world be a better place if you acted on it? What will it cost the world if you don't act on it? And if you're still waiting for that moment, who do you know who might be able to help you? Want to learn more about the world of supergivers? To find out more, head over to supergivers.com. 
If you'd like to be a guest on the show, click on the podcast link and send in an application. That's all for today. Thanks for listening and maybe even subscribing to the Super Gamers Podcast, where we celebrate ordinary people creating extraordinary impact in the world. I'm your host, Jesse Johnson, and I hope you'll tune in next time.